This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Gusto, online payroll and benefits service built for modern small businesses. And keep listening, I'm going to tell you how to get three months free. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance. My guest today is Reeves Wideman. He is a contributing editor at New York Magazine, also featured in New Yorker, New York Times Magazine, Rolling Stone, Harper's. And we're going to talk about a book that is fairly new called Billion Dollar Loser, The Epic Rise and Spectacular Fall of Adam Newman and WeWork. So Reeves, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, John. So why did you give away the ending? Um, for, for, for people that, that maybe haven't followed this story, kind of give us the, sure. like, here's, you know, here's what was going on at the high level. Here's what happened. Yeah, fair enough. Well, well, a lot of people may know it, but, but the, you know, the, the short version of the rise of WeWork is it was an, an office leasing company, um, started in New York city that in the course of a decade, um, expanded all over the world. Um, the basic business premise was slicing up large office spaces into small glass cubes that they would rent out. Mm. Um, by 2019, um, they had more than 400 locations around the world. Um, they also had apartments. They had started an elementary school um, and a, a variety of businesses uh, that required a lot of money. And so eventually in, in 2019, they decided to go public at a, at a sort of gobsmacking $47 billion valuation. Um, and, and in pretty spectacular fashion over, over a few weeks in the summer and fall of last year, the, the IPO itself collapsed. Uh, Adam Newman, the company's founder, um, was, was ousted. Um, and uh, he's now spending most of his time surfing. So, um, you know, and, and, and the future for him and, and for the company still remains to be seen, but it was a pretty Pretty remarkable rise and in, in a pretty shocking and, and swift fall. So, so the at the from the high of the valuation to like when it all shook out, what what, what did it shed? About eighty percent, ninety percent. You're going to make me do some math, but I, you're you're about <laughs> right. It, it it got up to forty seven billion at least in this theoretical way, and and yeah. this past spring, um, SoftBank, which is is we were. Mm -hmm primary investor um, marked it down to just under 3 billion, 2.9 billion. So a, a pretty shocking loss yeah. of value in a very yeah. short amount of time. So, so what was it? You did a series of interviews uh, with Adam and obviously a lot of other people that show up in the book, but uh, what, what was kind of the timeline for your interviews? Cause it was really pre crash, right? Yeah. I mean, we, when I was, I, I work at New York magazine and we had first decided to do this story at the beginning of 2019. And the reason we did it was, was because WeWork was growing so fast and because it, it suddenly was, was everywhere. We have an office in, in Soho and in, in New York, and suddenly there were half a dozen of them just in a, a few blocks yeah. Of, yeah. Of, of where our office was. And so we saw it as, as kind of a success story. We knew there was some, sort of some strange things about the company and, and it became very clear to me as I, as a, after interviewing Adam Newman um, last April, April 2019, uh, shortly before the IPO was announced, and then talking to people who'd worked with him, some members of his executive team, um, that everything that was good and bad about WeWork revolved around Adam Newman. He, he was the visionary. He was the sort of branding expert, and he was the, the ambition that was driving the company. 
and then as it became clear he he was also kind of embodied a lot of a lot of what what went wrong so my only uh um instance as i i did uh work out of a we work in dumbo uh one time oh yeah <laughs> a few what, years ago was it, yeah was it nice yeah it was nice it was you know it was like all the kind of you know hip places in that right. part of town right <laughs> uh Water, nice coffee uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah yeah very minimal decor yeah um so it's interesting. I mean, you brought up that idea of the, you know, all good things and bad things because um, in reading through the book, you almost get the impression, and and maybe other people um, have covered it this way too, that it wouldn't have happened with him, and it wouldn't have crashed with uh, with him without yeah. him. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I think that's exactly right, and and that's when when we wrote my first story, and this was when the company was still on the rise. We, you know, I didn't come up with this, but but the title one of my bosses did was was the I and we. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's just everything about this company was just sort of wrapped up in, in, in Adam's great qualities, which, which helped yeah. the company grow. And then things that kind of sent it off, off the rails. And, and in some ways, I mean, his ability to convince people of the dream is what really had people open up their checkbooks in seemingly not very practical or sensible ways, isn't it? Yeah. It was surprising to me at, at various points. Maybe it shouldn't have been, you know, how much people were convinced by him rather than the numbers they were seeing. Yeah. And, and that yeah. went for all kinds of people. It was, it was the investors. It was also employees. Um, you know, this company went from a few hundred people to 15,000 people in a, in a handful of, of years. And a lot of employees I talked to, some of whom became very jaded by the end of it, were, were there because they felt a part of this mission that, that we were talked about of, of, making a life, not a living, um, giving people a better day at work. It was, it was frankly inspiring to people to, to be working in that in environment. The whole co-working, if we can lump them into that, yep. you know, co-working phenomenon, you know, is a pretty stable, accepted, you know, mainstream kind of thing now in most, uh, certainly in most major cities. Um, you know, what, what was WeWork doing that just kind of made them so different. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, they were not the first. Um, right. They, there were, there were a number of them already in in, in New York alone. And and I think a, a couple of things um, to to talk about Adam again. Um, I, I talked to a number of other co working operators, some of whom still exist, some of whom run very successful businesses in different cities around the country. Some have one co working space, some have half a dozen, some have more. And they're all kind of content with that. Yeah. And, and they're happy, you know, they might want to expand a little bit, but none of them want, even seem to, to want to, to create some giant empire. Adam Newman, from the very beginning, told people that's what he wanted. He wanted to become too big to fail, as he, <laughs> as he put it to a lot of people. He wanted to expand globally. And so, you know, I, I think that's a, a big part of it is that is that it was just his drive and his vision um, and and then his ability to convince people that that vision was was possible to achieve, even when kind of the realities of of the co-working business. It's not an easy business to grow. It's not easy to, to build out spaces as, as quickly as we worked it. So I think I think his ambition and his ability to convince people. And then the money that he got as a result were kind of the, the main things that propelled the company. So during the interviews, because you said you, you kind of initiated it, maybe it was more of like a, wow, this is a six, 
giant success story right here in our yeah. backyard. During the course of the interviews, were you were, did you find yourself thinking this guy's a nut, or you know, this is like, um, you know, this is all like smoke and mirrors? Yeah, I, you know, I I had a half an hour interview with him in, yeah. in April in his office, and it, you know, it, in my job, you get used to interviewing powerful people, and you you get used to the sort of uh, tricks um, yeah. that, that they use, and and you know. I, on, on the one hand, I, I, I think I felt the charisma and charm that other people did. I think, you know, I'll, I'll give myself a mild amount of credit of, or, or, or it's both a, a benefit and a burden to be as skeptical as I am of, of, of people. Um, but I think you can kind of, you could kind of tell that he was a charmer. And I think what's, what's interesting about what other people would say is that they kind of knew that. It's not like he totally pulled the wool over people's eyes. But part of what people would tell me is, you know, well, he, he did a pretty good job of convincing me. So I figure he's going to do a pretty good job of being able to convince other people. And so there is this kind of not everyone was just an idiot who was who was sort of wooed by him. But I think, you know, a lot of them were just able to recognize that his charm would be a real you know, tool. I feel like. Um... You know, I read a lot of business books. Um, I, I must admit, you know, a lot of them are how-to books and less sure. of sort of a storybook, if you will. Um, but I feel like you still did a good job of covering him with some compassion. I mean, I think that there are plenty of people that were willing to throw him under the bus and, you know, write some pretty pretty negative things. And I feel like you you sort of brought out that, hey, there's kind of two sides to this. Yeah. Was that intentional or is that just was that just going to be your style? I, th I think um, I, I did not. Well, I think I set out in, in everything I write to be to be compassionate, um, at least as a, as a sort of base layer to start from. Um, some people deserve more compassion than others. And, and I think, you know, Adam um, was and is a complicated figure. Um, he uh, one thing about him that is true is is his rhetoric around wanting to change the world and make it a better place, which he began to talk about constantly by the end of, of his time at WeWork, the, the mission statement of the company was to elevate the world's consciousness. And, and one thing I talked to people about was like, did he, did he believe that? Or was this just kind of a sales pitch? Mm. And, and I came to believe as, as most people told me that he did believe it. He did. He believed both, he both wanted to change the world and he believed that WeWork was capable of doing it. Now, that may have been a bit naive and, and foolish to, to think about. And, and there are certainly um, bodies that were buried along the way as, as he, he built this empire. But, you know, he wasn't just sort of a, a, a crazy, narcissistic, um, ambitious, greedy person, which I think is, is what was out there. Sometimes those characteristics came through and, and got the best of him. But I think in, in other cases, he was also, you know, a, just a, an ambitious, eager entrepreneur who, who did want to do good and and did in some cases. But it, but in others, you know, clearly, clearly things went awry. So one of the things that I was struck with is the level of detail that you had. And of course, this is, you know, a lot of people who write business books aren't journalists. Yeah. I'll throw my, I'll throw myself breed. into that category. Yeah. And the level of detail in some of the characters down to the dialogue of like his 
girlfriend at the time's first date. I mean, mm-hmm. where did you where did you get that? How much time did it take you to get to that level of detail? A lot of work. Um, <laughs> you know, I think by the end of this, I interviewed uh, you know more than two hundred people, mm-hmm. whether that was um, employees, friends, enemies, rivals, executives, investors, um, all of it, and. And, you know, what was interesting and useful about this is, is when you're often when you're reporting about companies um, on the way up, nobody wants to tell you any of the interesting and good stuff, yeah, especially yeah, yeah. when things are going well. And, and this was an interesting case where overnight, you know, when I was reporting on the company uh, in the spring into summer of 2019, people were telling me some of this stuff, but they were very nervous about doing so. And then once everything fell apart, once Adam no longer seemed to be this all powerful pig figure, people are more willing to, mm. to, to share, which is, you know, you, for my purposes, I, I wish more, more people would on, on the way up. And, and, and frankly, if they did, we might, might avoid some yeah. situations yeah. like this. But. Yeah. They're probably telling themselves a different story on the way up. Is part exactly. of the problem. <laughs> yeah, and, and and for one reason or another, you know, you you look past the the yeah. weird things that are happening, and it might be because you're self interested. You know, yeah. a lot of these people had stock and and mm-hmm. wanted it to do well, and and or or you're you know self rationalizing in one way or another. Yeah, I imagine imagine the people that sat around thinking forty six billion dollar valuation, and we're and we're going public. You know, yeah. <laughs> and all of them, you know, all of them knew it, it, it was ridiculous. And yeah. and yet, you know, and this is one of the problems, you know, there's this sort of fateful moment in the WeWork story where SoftBank, um, this Japanese technology conglomerate, invested $4 billion into WeWork, yeah. which was at the time one of the largest investments, venture capital investments ever. And, and in hindsight, that moment sent the company off a cliff. It, it, it was almost impossible to spend that money to do what they wanted to do. But was Adam supposed to say no? Were, yeah. were they supposed to say no to this, this, you know, unheard of amount of money? Um, it's really easy to do so. In hindsight, it's much more difficult um, on the way up. And now let's hear from this week's sponsor. Look, paydays are great, but running payroll, calculating taxes, deductions, compliance, that's not easy. Unless, of course, you have Gusto. Gusto is simple online payroll and benefits built just for small businesses. Gusto automatically files your payroll taxes and directly deposits your team's pay. Plus, you can offer all kinds of other benefits, 401ks, health insurance, workers' comp, and more. And because you're a listener to this show, you're going to get three months free once you run your first payroll. So go to Gusto slash tape. That's gusto slash T-A-P-E and tell them John sent you. There's a concept that you talk about in the, in the book. And, and I wonder if, gosh, I wonder if the world we are experiencing, you and I are recording this in October of 2020, mm-hmm. um, when the world is a very uh, interesting place. Um, yeah. The concept of this physical social network, yeah. um, which I think is really um, an interesting concept and I don't know if that's like associated with co-working in general or always has been but you know is that it was that an ambition that really is not achievable it's a good question it was certainly Adam's ambition and I think he he by and large failed at at getting there um and you know the idea was we'll have you know we work now has 800 
locations around the world. Um, and the idea was that you would connect those in, in some way. And we were could tried to create various versions of its own sort of LinkedIn, yeah. you know, kind of, kind of network, Facebook, whatever, however you, whatever model you want to take. Webook. Uh, Webook. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we connect was, was the, okay. the one they had, had used early on. Um, and everything had a we in it. Yeah. And it, it just didn't feel necessary. And it's interesting, you know, one, one thing I've thought a lot about recently is, you know, Adam started WeWork out of the last recession, the financial crisis. Rent was cheap in New York. Um, that was a big factor in, in the ability of the company to expand. And I, I think clearly we're still waiting to see how the situation we're in now shakes out. But new models are, are going to emerge in, in real estate and every other industry. Yeah. And WeWork is, is trying to position itself as, as being that. Um, they're obviously hobbled. The brand is, is, is pretty devastated at this point. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know. And it, it, it could be. And, I, and, and the reality is, yes, uh, the idea of a physical social network, I think, is even more appealing now. It's, it's a tricky thing to build. And I think WeWork didn't solve it. And it, it's going to, I'm not actually sure how, how you would create this kind of vague idea and make it something real. Yeah. You know, right now we're standing here in October feeling like, you know, there's physical nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's right. like nobody, nobody wants to go in a room with other people. Are you kidding me? I know. I know. <laughs> any, any kind of connection would be, would be nice. Yeah. So, so this is a, always a tough question, um, but in, in going in, you, you, I mean, everybody has a bias. You kind of go yeah. and think, eh, here's what I'm going to find. Did, did, did you, anything just really surprise you when you dug in like, whoa, didn't see that coming? Um, I would say, I, you know, I, I almost feel like saying this makes me sound a little bit naive, but I'm not a business reporter by training. I've sort of come to it later, later in the last half decade. I've written a lot about these kind of high growth startups, yeah. uh, Uber, Vice Media, um, WeWork. Um and it was surprising to me as someone who didn't come from a business background, how many decisions, huge decisions are, are not based as much on the numbers as I would expect. How much is based on gut feeling, um, instinct, uh, relationships. And, and you know, I, I think at least in, in a small business context, you sort of you kind of understand that with these big giant companies, you sort of figure there's someone kind of running the numbers and the models. Yeah. And there certainly were, but it, at very crucial points um, from that soft bank investment that we talked about to, to others, it came down to people, you know, people having a gut feeling about something and, and going for it, even if, every bit of data was telling them this, this might not be a good idea. So, you know, I, I think that was surprising to me and, and it's not just a, something I've seen at WeWork. It's, it's something that I feel like has, has come up at, at other companies and repeats itself. So that leads really right into what's uh, my last question and the back uh, flap of the cover. I don't always read that far. I don't know what, what struck me about this. <laughs> but, you made uh... That's what my picture is. I think. Yeah. <laughs> This uh, the first to capture the highly leveraged all blue sky of American business in the first term of President Trump. Um, I don't know if those were your words or if publisher put those in there or not, but uh, but it seems to be suggesting that that we work in some ways was almost a cultural mic, you know, microcosm of like American business and that their failure sort of signals a shift. I, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but I'm curious if that's where that line came from. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, my editor put those words on the page, and I approved them. So, yeah. so um, <laughs> I, I I do believe in them. And I, I thought about this in the context. You know, I don't know if it stands in for all of American business forever, but I do think WeWork stands in a lot for the decade that we just came out of. And you think about sort of the spirit behind the company was this sort of you know very communitarian. Um, we is in the name. Um, it was something that that millennials especially were like desperately seeking uh, coming out of of the last recession in in all in all kinds of ways, and and at some point along the line um, things shifted and and I I think part of it was that the company just became too big. I have a working theory um, again based more on gut than numbers at at, at this point, but um, that that it's just not a good idea for companies to get as big as many of them were um, in this past decade and expand into so many different things. Um, I think it, it becomes a problem, problematic. Um, but in, in the course of this decade, I think, you know, plenty of people made comparisons between Adam Newman and Donald Trump. Um, Adam was good friends with Jared Kushner as, as one example. Um, and whatever you, you sort of think about things politically, um, it was clear that, that some of the things that, that, some of the reasons Donald Trump appeals to to certain voters is is in the same Adam Newman appeals in the same way, very charismatic, um, appealing to to whatever sort of this group wants to hear. You know, I, I'm not I'm not going to get into political analysis here, but but I do think that 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 sort of charm as and 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 vision and ambition as as the driving force behind your company. Um, ultimately isn't going to get you to the finish line. And I think it, it happened with WeWork. And I think, you know, we're going to, we're going to see other, other companies that have, have grown hard and fast over the, over the last decade on the same impulses, I think have faced some of the same struggles, especially given the environment we're in now. Visiting so. with Reeves Weideman, author of Billion Dollar Loser. So Reeves, you want to tell people where they can find Billion Dollar Loser and, uh, I know, Everywhere. I, I, know, I was going to say, I know, I know, at your at your bookstores and whatnot, but uh, have you got a site or anything for the uh, the book that might offer some other um, uh, content as you continue to work on this? Yeah, absolutely. You can you can check out billiondollarloserbook.com, um, and you can both read the original articles that I, I wrote for New York Magazine and see some of the the reviews that that have already come in. Um, and uh, and yeah, the book. Uh, will be available very soon, October 20th. And, um, uh, and, and anywhere, uh, anywhere you like buying your books, uh, either at the a- Amazon, which is the we work sort of, of, of business <laughs> or your, or your local co-working company slash bookstore. So. And did you uh, record an audio book version? There did will you? be, there will be an audio book version. I, um, I did not read it, which is, uh, so uh, this 20 minutes is all anyone's going to get, but um, <laughs> there will be a, an audio book version out as Good. well. Well, uh, I think you were smart on that. It's really hard to read a book, actually. <laughs> I, I, you've done it. I've done it. I've yeah. done it. Yeah, yeah. Numerous it, times. And it's very taxing. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I don't envy that, that task. I, have a, I, I hate even looking back at what I've written. So having to go back and read it would be doubly mortifying. So, so uh, Samuel L. Jackson, I heard, is actually uh, reading exactly. yours. Exactly. It's yes. uh, Samuel L. Jackson doing the first part. David Attenborough. Um, <laughs> Just, just all the nice, nice, awesome. Yeah. Well, Reeves, it was great uh, for you to stop by, and uh, hopefully, we'll see you soon one of these days out there on the road. Yeah, likewise. Thanks, John. I appreciate it.